Just wanna let you know that the links for everything are down below to my guest and to the Serpents and Doves website. I wanna encourage everybody to check those out. Also, if you can, remember to subscribe, to like, and to share the videos. And if you feel led to help support the work that I'm doing to come alongside it, whether with a single or a monthly recurring donation, you can do so by clicking in the link below. And I hope you guys enjoy. Let's get to it. I say yes, I know. I'm, I'm not Pete Garcia. Sorry to break it to you. Even though, dude, check this out. I don't know if I could find the comment. I will try, dude. Let me bring both of us up here. But I thought it was funny. <laughs> I did uh I did a video. I gotta read this comment, dude. I let me see if I could even bring it up. Um how would I find it? It's on the YouTube one of the YouTube videos I just did. And it's it's one I either one of my shorts or the last one I did on Faith. I don't remember, but it's just me holding the phone. And I was either deck side, I'm always deck side. So most of the time when you see me on the phone, I'm deck side, meaning I'm I'm by the pool, the swimming pool. Um, but it was funny cause it was something along these lines. Who is this guy? I guess they're talking about me. Who is this guy with the hat and the, and the sunglasses on? Is this Pete Garcia? <laughs> <laughs> I was tempted, dude. I was this close to saying, yep, I'm Pete Garcia. I wrote all those books. Thank you very much. <laughs> there's some, there's some guy on, I don't know who does this on, on YouTube. They, they have, um, I think they repost like Jan Markell interviews or whatever. And I don't, I, I think they do it with a lot of different people, but I, I have no idea who does this, but they'll have a picture of Jan and then they'll have a guy, this really big fat Mexican guy <laughs> named Pete Garcia in a tie and a mustache. And, and they'll have me and Jan together and Pete Garcia, Jan, Mar and it'll, it'll be playing the, the audio to it or whatever. And I just, Oh my gosh, I just died laughing. <laughs> Because there's probably half the people out there in the world think that's me, and then the other half think it's oh, you. Oh man! Like I don't know. Well, now they're gonna think that you're the guy that that's bald headed, has a beard, and wears <laughs> wears sunglasses. And oh, by the way, and I chew gum, so I can't tell you how many people have said it's rude for me to chew gum, and I forget. I still chew gum. So thank you I'm for not, the people. My, my wife doesn't let me chew gum. I, oh really? Oh yeah, I'm a notorious. <laughs> I smack my gum. I'm like, I do the same thing, dude. That's what I do. You know, I've been told I chew gum like a horse, and I'll own it. I totally chew gum like a horse, but uh, I don't care if you want to chew gum. By all means, chew gum. But that is funny, dude. I think you. Uh, is this? Um... <laughs> you see it? Okay, I gotta put this up, dude. I think this is you, right, Pete Garcia? Uh, let me post this because there's some there's a picture of you down there, but is this the Pete Garcia you're talking about, dude? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, this is so good. So, folks, listen if you're if you see this guy, it's not this Pete Garcia right here. Maybe it's some I other Pete guy. Garcia. Whoever even know what he does. Yeah, because awesome. if you read, so well, this guy actually passed away. So, is this the guy oh. that they put the picture of? Uh, this guy was a leader for Chicanos por la causa, so I don't know if this is the guy. Yeah, uh, it looks like it looks like yeah, it is him. Go go to the uh, top right. 
the this one right one. here, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, guy. it's the same dude. It's okay. So he's passed away, ladies and oh, gentlemen. Well, it says right here, didn't it? Right here, dies at seventy-one. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't know. That. Yeah, so, so you won't see him. Never mind. So you can't go up to him. <laughs> <laughs> but if you see this picture, it's not the right Pete Garcia. This is the guy right here, Texas hat. Uh, right down here, there's your pick. That's that's you right there, dude. Look at you, man. It's me. By the way, that was the OG background you had, which I love, dude, on our first video, man. That thing is so tight. Love it, dude. Okay, well, I'm coming back to the two of us, dude. That was a good hoot and laugh, man. <laughs> that was good. Dude, we were having... We literally probably did a, a podcast off the record just talking, and we got into a really good conversation. Now, we were going to talk about... First, it was... How do you say it? Apophis, apophis. I think it's apophis. Apophis, right? Yeah. And uh, I thought, eh, you know, there's a lot of neos out there, anyways. Not neo like, you know, the Matrix neo, but near Earth objects. And there's a lot of them. So, I read a NASA report that said, well, it's not that close. It's not going to really do anything in 2029. If anything, we have to be worried maybe over a century from now. Dude, I hope the Lord comes back in a century from now. <laughs> yeah. So uh, then we were going to talk about your article, which, ladies and gentlemen, please go visit Pete's website. Again, it's linked below. I've got it all there. Pete writes some of the best articles I've read. And yes, I read this one. It's called Theology of the Damned. And we might talk about that. Okay. Uh, maybe we can get, I don't know. We'll see. It might tie into what we're talking about. But I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to put you on the spot. And um, don't get angry with me. But we were, we were having a really good conversation. And to be honest with you, let me kind of set it up. I think we've gotten to the point, and I'm, I'm basing it off of what I see, off of comments and emails that I've gotten. But I think we've kind of come to a point where we were kind of at a, at a red line. And what I mean by red line is in the prophecy circle, we obviously were teaching or talking about the nearness of the Lord's return. And I believe it, I know you believe it, that the rapture of the church could happen any day. And that is because we're, we read the Bible, we see what's happening around us, and we can go, yep, totally fits in, right? It's like, perfect. Now, what I see happening, though, is there's so much, um, and I called it clickbait. Unfortunately, it is clickbait. There's a lot of that happening out there. I've gotten emails of people telling me that they feel anxious. They're experiencing anxiety, some, some depression, and that isn't what the Lord called us to do, right? That's not what our calling, even as we teach Bible prophecy, which, again, your article opens up. Let me go over there and read from it, because it's great. You say, I spend a lot of time on here discussing biblical eschatology, which is the study of the last days, right? Um, and you go primarily because three reasons. Number one, you don't get it at your local church. I agree, 100%. A lot of churches, not preaching this, totally ignoring it. A lot of, per a lot of churches, straight up heresy. Number two, because biblical prophecy is essential to the nurturing in the faith of the believer, which we're going to come back to because I want you to talk about that. And number three, it is proof positive that God is real 
and we are in the last moments of human history. I will not refute any of your points, Pete. Not at all. I think you're spot on with those. However, I like your last sentence. You say, however, it is necessary for us to revisit those things which make our faith as a whole unique and exclusive when compared to any other faith system, especially while discussing the issues of eternal salvation. So talk to me about what do you think about what I just said, dude? Because we were having a really good talk, man. Yeah. I, I You know, today I was out... Um on a job site and I was riding back with a guy I never met him before. And, and, um, he, this was his first time in the, in the area. And, uh, we were talking about kind of world events and, and nothing religious, nothing prophecy. It was purely just, you know, he was telling me, he, he told me that he liked to read. We were talking about what we liked and, and I just asked him what he read. And he was like, well, I read, you know, the, the, uh, reading list that the, that the organization puts out, um, which is a lot of professional reading. And he was telling me that one of those things that he likes to read is the uh, DNI's uh, analysis of world events and things like that. And then somehow we got in the conversation. I was like, you know, I think I think things have gotten complexified. And I said, I know I just made that word up, but it, it's the best <laughs> word I can think of, right? Complexification yeah. of, of how, you know, how how things have gotten so complicated here in the day and age that we live in. And, um, you know, back, if you go back to the 1950s or earlier, you know, life was simple that, yeah. you know, life was not, um, you know, if you went in, you signed something, you, uh, you signed a bank loan, you did it. So one sheet of one sheet of paper, your signature was good. People knew who you were. Yep. Your word was your bond. Um, now you've got to provide, you know, 16 different pieces of identification. You got to give a blood sample, DNA, you know, <laughs> one of your hairs, you pull out of your head and leave it there for genetic evidence. Wait, wait, wait. What? How do they do that? With me? <laughs> oh, they'd probably just pluck it from my beard. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, I agree. And so I just said, you know, everything has gotten so complex. And I said, you know, societies will go on in where we are today. Things will keep getting more complex and more complex until it reaches like a breaking point. Yeah. And then and then something catastrophic happens and things get reset. You know, if you look at the Roman Empire, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I, I, I think that's the same way it is with religion. You know, growing up, um, I could remember, you know, we had a Baptist church, a couple Baptist churches in our town. We had a Methodist church. We had a Catholic church. Um, you know, we you know, there was probably about seven or eight churches. And now there's yeah. like. 15 different kinds of Southern Baptist, you know, <laughs> and then like, yeah, you know, 20 different kinds of non-denominational. And it's just like, it's, I mean, spread that out amongst every belief system and everything has become so, uh, diversified to the nth degree that it's, I think, I think there's so much confusion out there and we live in the age of information and, and, and we know that that Satan was a murderer from the beginning and he's a father of lies and everything that comes out of his mouth is a lie. And we know that the whole fallen angels, the whole demonic realm, they live and thrive in deception. And here we live in the day and age, in the age of information with so much information being, you know, flooding us from every direction, um, whether it's advertising or messaging or political ads or you know whatever um 
this religion thing too. I mean, it, it is, it is bogging people down in, in most, you know, most churches you drive by today, you'd be hard pressed to find out what a statement of faith is from them. You have no yeah. idea what they believe, what they teach. And so I think with the theology of the damned, I just, I, I was wanting to go back and look at kind of what does it mean to be Christian and, and what are yeah. some of the things that when we hear them or smell them or see them in any way, shape or form, they should cause the, the hairs on your neck to stand up and like, whoa, like I should avoid this kind of teaching if it goes in that direction. And so that's that's really kind of the genesis of it. I wanted to go back and just revisit some of the um, the basics of what makes our faith different and by pointing out what what are the major heresies that are out there. So one of those examples real quick is Arianism, which is not new. It's old. It, it goes back to like the second and third century. Yeah. And, it, and it's one of the early heresies <laughs> that the early church was dealing with. But we see this here repackaged. It's the same lie that we see repackaged later with Jehovah Witnesses, with Mormons and with other different groups that, that diminish Christ. Um, they diminish his deity. They don't say he's purely human, but but he's created and he's not fully God. You know, he's not right. as powerful as the father, you know. So yep. that's that's where I think the, that's where my heart was when I wrote that article. No, it's a great article. I, I think it's and you know what? It's a short read, but it's really jam packed with a lot of stuff. I You know, you bring up I want to bring up this for people that might not know what the coexist uh, sticker looks like. Um, but you brought up, let me, let me go over here and show people. This is the coexist logo right here. I mean, different variations right here. This one here, you could see how it's got, you know, the rainbow, of course, no need to explain there. Um, you've got the symbol of Islam, male, female. I'm not sure what this one is. Do you know what this one is, dude? Yeah, hold on. This one right here. So this is Islam right here. Maybe maybe Hinduism or something. I don't know. Yeah. Then you've got, you know, the star David, the satanic symbol right up there. Wiccan, the, yeah. You've got the, this is the yin and the yang. And I love how they put the cross at the very end. But this is a coexist lip, uh, logo right there. And I love the way that you put this here. You said you, if, if it's okay with you, I like to read it because I want people... To go and read this themselves. You know what? Before I even do, um, let me open up the Word of God because you put a great verse there. If you have your Bible, dude, why don't you read it? It's Galatians 1, 6 to 9. Yeah, give me a second. Yeah, go for it, dude. And I thought it was really good. You open up with the Word of God, which I love. Let's, you know, let's dig down to the nitty-gritty and give God his place, the Word of God. Because everything, every authority flows from the Word of God. It's not what you say. It's not what I say. It's what the Word of God says at the end of the day. So um, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 9. And you set it up by putting that verse up. And I think it's great. Let me go back to the two of us. There we go. So um, whenever you are ready, go for it. I should play the... Uh, the Jeopardy theme song right now, but I'll probably get a copyright strike. Uh, <clears throat> All right. But if, but even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you other than what we preach to you, let him be accursed. 
As we have said before, so I now I so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than other than what uh you have received, let him be accursed. Yep. Amen. I love that, dude. You set it up. And so going back, the what you said here is you've probably seen those asinine postmodernist bumper. And I love the way you put that, dude, because that's exactly what they are. Postmodernist bumper stickers with the word coexist on them using the symbols of many different faiths as if they were all somehow equally valid. Yes, you put pluralism because that's exactly what it is. But we live in a day and age where there is so much confusion um, because so much is being thrown at everybody. You allude in this article, which I thought was really good, how so much, if you were to have a conversation with a J-Dubs, a Jehovah's Witness, or a Mormon, and you listen to what they say, even a uh, Jehovah's Witness Bible, even a Mormon Bible. Now, they only use King James Version, but even the King James Version that they use is altered. Um, But if you were to listen to them, you made a great point. They sound Christian, don't they? Yeah, they do. They use, I mean, I've talked to many, many, many Mormons, and, um, you know, they use the same language, they use the same terminology, but you really have to drill into what what do they mean by that? What do they mean by um, by redemption? What do they mean yeah. by salvation? What do they mean by the deity of Christ? Yeah. Um, or the trinity, the triune nature of Godhead. They, they don't they don't they don't believe in the Trinity per se, and they'll tell you that pretty much openly. But they believe in I believe what they what they would consider or what I would consider tritheism, where there's three gods. And for them, that that that's not a big thing because each of them, if they follow all the rules and, and play the Mormon game just right, they will eventually become a god themselves, and then they'll yep. have their own god wife and have their own planet, and you know, kind of go on. And and so, f- you know, for them, there's many many gods, you know. Yep. And yeah. So, and, and there there is, you know, to be fair, there is an identity crisis within Mormonism because, you know. 50 years ago and earlier Mormons would say they weren't Christian, that they were Mormon. They wanted to make that distinction between we Christians who they considered to be fallen and to be apostate apostate from where they were. But now, you know, with the way the world's become, they want to be um, included inside of the Christian tent, so to speak. And so they've adopted and, and use a lot of the same language that we use, but they don't mean it the same way that we mean it. And yeah. so just just on a surface level, you're talking to one, you might walk away thinking, man, this guy's saved, you know, or, you know, I don't really, I don't see really see what's wrong with, with sharing the gospel. Why, I don't know to share the gospel with this guy because he already understands the gospel, but they don't, yeah. they don't see yeah. it. They don't, they're using it a very different way than how we use it. So, yeah. Um, you know, you you make a good point here, one of, amongst many others, and I'm going to, you know, throw a bomb out here to people. Uh, Jesus was not a Christian, right? <laughs> uh, contrary to popular belief, Jesus was not a Christian. Uh, I know that may sound like heresy. Is that is that heretical to say? No, I mean, he is, he is, well, he is the... He is the epitome of what a Christian strives to be, right? Absolutely. He is the Christ. 
the Christ. Right? He is the Christ, but he was Jewish, right? His family mm. was Jewish. He grew up Jewish. He went to you know the synagogue. But let's you know let's let's really face the fact that the Bible says they were first called Christians in Antioch, right? Christ followers. And so we need to remember that. Uh, I like the way you put it here uh, in one of your paragraphs. Judaism and Christianity—they're not—they're not one and the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Talk about that for a bit, because I think it's important for us to understand uh, that the denial of Christ as the Messiah, as the one. Right, Yeshua Amashiach. Talk about that for a bit. It's really important. Yeah, I mean, you could have the most devout Jew that practices Judaism. He may come from the right lineage. He may have gone to synagogue every day of his life. He may have the Torah memorized. He might be by all the the standards in Judaism, which are, you know, in and of themselves, that would be a feat. If he does not place his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he will go to hell for all eternity, just like the, right. the most wicked Satanist. Yep. And that's that is that is the rules that God set up. That God set up that you have to believe in the one He sent, who is Jesus Christ, in order for there to be salvation. Yep. So Christianity comes from out of Judaism, mm-hmm. right? There's it yep. it it you know it could trace its lineage back to those roots, those theological roots, but until Jewish people come to embrace their Messiah, Jesus Christ is their Messiah, then, then they are going to be confined or consigned to the same eternal damnation that in, in any pagan would. Yep. And so that, that is, that was the whole purpose of the law was to point them to the com- the one that was coming, the redeemer. And the law was so onerous and so taxing that what should have been a desperate cry for the Messiah in his first coming turned yep. into a, a just a snub and in a in a absolute dismissal of him because they've become so um I don't want to say sadomasochist, but they became so used to being just <laughs> under this abusive system for yeah. so long <clears throat> yep. that they came to like the pain. You know, and in, in yeah. terms of the law, one is legalism, they, right? Of legalism, yeah, yeah, yep. And so, and so, when when Paul wrote that in the Galatians or to the Galatian church, the church in Galatia, he was addressing those Judaizers who were yep. coming along after him, promoting this idea that that in order to be a better Christian, you should embrace the law again, or that you should begin to follow the law, because then you're getting the best of both worlds. And I'm sure many of these Judaizers were probably meant well. Yeah. We tend to think of them as evil, whatever, but maybe they, maybe these people thought they were doing the right thing by, by mixing the law back in. And this is where Paul goes in and says, if anybody preaches any other gospel than what you've received from us, from me, let them be accursed. And that yeah. is a bold, bold statement for him to make. Yeah. Um, and, and you talk about, I don't know. I'm, I'm assuming that these some of these Judaizers would have read this after the fact. These Galatians would have showed them, hey, man, we're not supposed to listen to you guys. Listen yep. to what Paul says. That would have been 
that would have been a knife to the heart. You know, that would have been a, a dagger to the chest with um, the amount of consternation in there. And, and they weren't even that far off. The Judaizers weren't. I mean, they believed that Jesus was a Messiah. They believed that Christians should partake in the Lord's Supper and then be baptized. And there's a lot of things we would probably find agreeance with them. But they were off. They were off in yeah. the sense that they were trying to reintroduce the law back into the gospel of grace. Yep. And so that that is where um, you see that today with so many different things, whether you're talking about Roman Catholicism, which is a, basically a works-based salvation religion, or Mormonism, which presents a different Christ, or the Jehovah Witnesses who present a different Christ, or Seventh-day Adventists who like to mix the law back into modern Christianity, um, or not, not even modern Christianity, biblical Christianity. Sure. And I don't, I mean, there's just so many, even, even, I would say even Protestant churches that promote this, um, you know, morality based, um, Christian ease, you know, like if you don't go to church three days a week, if you're not wearing a suit and tie, if you're not doing this, you're not doing this, you're not doing this, yep. and you're not Christian mm-hmm. enough. Um, and I've seen a lot of that growing up, you know, and going to churches and yeah, that's, that's, the, that's the, the, the whole thing about Christianity is none of those things, none of those things get you any closer to God because God is so far beyond us in terms of holiness and in terms of his uh, infinite being. Yep. What, what, <laughs> what, what, what could me possibly give him or, po- you know, what could I, what could I do to impress God? who knows everything about me already. He knows every sin I've ever committed and every sin I will commit. He knows yeah. what a wretched wretch I am. Um, and, and somehow I, I now I'm wearing a suit and tie. I clean up really well. I go sit in a church three days a week and somehow I'm morally superior to, to somebody else. Like, no, that, that is not how this is. God wants a broken and contrite heart to seek him. Yep. And to recognize that we cannot save ourselves, and and in in that sincerity and in that in that sincere and desperate cry for salvation is where God God meets us at that point. Amen. I agree a hundred percent. Look, <clears throat> I don't know how many people know who this guy is here. Now I'm going to show a picture. Let me see if you know. You probably recognize him right away. Let me get over here. You know who this guy is. This guy here, uh, Bill no. Gothard. Bill Gothard. Anybody heard of Bill Gothard? I've heard Probably the name before. I don't know. So Bill Gothard led this organization called IBLP. And um, as far as I know, IBLP, um, I don't know why I went to me full screen, but uh, it's called, let me go back to the website. This is what IBLP was is institute in basic life principles you remember that show um oh what was it she had like a a litter of kids man like 20 kids or 19 kids i was a family oh what was the name the dude's name was jim bob yeah um what was it called man 19 and counting yeah that was that was it uh, I, I'm sure a lot of you probably watched that show. Well, they were deeply entrenched in this organization called Institute and in Basic Life Principles. 
And this is nothing more than to me when I was reading this. And don't, this is kind of why I liked, not kind of, this is why I liked your article. Let me zoom in here. It says, is a non-denominational Christian organization that serves as an umbrella organization for several ministries established by American Christian minister Bill Gothard in 1961. Now, what's crazy about this is when you look at this just at the front, right? The facade of it, well, it looks good. But when you dig down deep, this is nothing more than a legalistic cult. That's, that's all it is. Mm-hmm. And as we're talking about this, this guy came to my mind because, unfortunately, we live in a day and age where legalism has crept back into the church. You kind of alluded to that just a little bit ago. You talk about that in your article, right? The Judaizers were doing that. But this has found its way back in. I don't know if it ever really left, but it's resurfaced again. And legalism is the pits. It's the worst because it denies what the Lord came to do, right? Yeah. The Lord's the Lord's death on the cross is resurrection. He did away with the law. Now, that doesn't mean that that's a, a license for us to go out and sin and do whatever we want, right? It's mm-hmm. not cheap grace. I understand that. But even Paul, uh, in, in the book of Galatians, I think in verse 11 of chapter 2, says, Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came to James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. That's chapter 2 of Galatians, verses 11 and 13. So even Paul was, you know, had to get in Pete, uh, in in uh, in Peter's face about this, about legalism. And it's important for us to understand that there is so much, like we said in the very beginning, so much confusion when it comes to the purity and the simplicity of the Word of God. And you say it right here; it is unique and exclusive, right? You said here, it's necessary for us to revisit those things which make our faith unique and exclusive compared to other faiths. The fact that we're not to be legalistic about things is that, to me, that seems like something that is so unique to the faith when we place our faith in Jesus Christ to Christianity. Now, see, that again, we use the term Christianity. That's just been dragged through the mud. Yeah. Don't you think? Yeah, there's a lot of um, things and people and organizations that claim to be Christian and then sadly are just wearing that title for for monetary gain or for recognition or whatever. I mean, you can look at Chick-fil-A, you can look at yep. different organizations that, that uh, pur- purport to be Christian, purport to be... Um, at least promoting Judeo-Christian principles and things like that, that, that are bending the knee left and right. And and it's too, it's too easy this day to just slap the label on something that you're Christian or it's Christian or this church is Christian. And you have no idea what's really going on inside the the confines of the, the four walls there. 
and I and I I think that um, when we look at what does it mean to be Christian, and I think you know if you look at the different Barna polls and Pew polls and um, all the different polls out there that that have uh, that do the study on uh, or that do the research on you know do you hold to a biblical worldview yeah you see that it's drastically <laughs> down you know down considerably um over the just the last 15 years or so and even amongst the clergy you know of, of what most would call christendom these days doesn't even they don't even have a christian worldview or a biblical worldview and so i it's just it's <laughs> We live in the Laodicean era, man. This is the yeah. time when people are just doing whatever they want to do. And yep. you, you notice in the church there that um, that Christ is outside of the church. I think somebody asked me last night on my uh, Monday Night Live about how is it that if we're in the Laodicean era, how does everybody claim to be Philadelphian? <laughs> you know, and I was like, that's right. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I said, yeah. but the truth is, uh, I, I don't know that they do, you know, I don't know that that people even even understand that reference anymore. Christians don't even understand that reference anymore to any real degree. Yeah. Um, yep. we, we live, like I said, we live in this age when there's 15 different kinds of Southern Baptist and there's, you know, different Methodists and different Catholics and different. I mean, there's just it's become so um, diversified and specialized that. Um, a large chunk of that then breaks off and becomes non-denominational, which then you have no idea what the, where they stand or what they believe. And sure, it's just a mess, man. It is a yeah. total mess, mm -hmm. at least here in, in, in America. I don't know how it is in other parts of the world in terms of the Christian faith. Yeah. I, I don't know. I can't imagine that it's, I know in Europe it's not any better, but I'll say this much. One of the things that I found out as I was doing, you know, the, the research and prepping for my talk in New Mexico was the fact that when we came out of the second great awakening, we came out of the second great awakening in pretty bad shape. And I mean the church, mm -hmm. because out of the second great awakening, there were so many disagreements when it came to biblical interpretations, hermeneutics, that we had the advent of Mormonism. We had the advent of Jehovah's witnesses. Um, we had seventh day Adventists, and uh, all these different denominations came out of that. And so we came out of that in worse shape. And I look at what we've produced through the years as a nation, and it blows my mind to think that we're the ones that have accursed the world with different types of cults, like Jehovah's Witnesses, like Mormonism, right? And you can go down the list, whatever it was. The the guys at Waco, Texas, which were the Branch Davidians. Um, you know, you had, uh, who was the dude that they all moved to? Uh, Jones, Jim Jones. Joan, the, Jim People's Jones. Temple, the People's Temple, yeah. There you go, People's Temple. I mean, think about it. Wherever, and I said this, that wherever the Lord's work begins, and it's pure, and it's the way the Lord started it, Satan's always there to meet the you know God's work and to pervert it and to tear it down and through there to inject confusion and we're in a day and age where you put an exhaust a fairly good exhaustive list 
in your articles when it comes to the different types of theologies. And theology in and of itself is not a Christian term. It's just the study of God, right? And that all mm. depends what people's definition of God is. Am I, am I, right. am I far off base when I say no. that? No. No. Theology, like biology, is the study of life. Theo, yeah. God, is the study of God. So if you're a Hindu or you're a Buddhist or you're whatever, and whoever you view as God, that's you're studying the religion of Shintoism or something and, mm -hmm. and whatever they deify in their, in their worldview, that would be pertaining to, to the, their theology. Yep. So theology is just, just the study of God. And so from a, you know, we most, I'd say it's most commonly associated with, um, with Christendom, with Christianity because of the, this was the culture for so many centuries. It was very, you know, um, the God of the Bible centric, you know, it was very Christ Judeo Christian centric. Um, but, but reality, the the theology can mean the study of any God, you know, or study yeah. of God. Um, but we, we use it in reference to the God of the Bible. And so the only true living God is the God of the Bible. But, you know, um, I wanted to address the kind of the main points of um, contention within the Christian faith and how other groups take that and abuse those particular subjects. So like Christology, the study of Christ. Sure. If you want to, you know, it's easy for somebody to say, I believe in God, but then yep. you ask them, okay, well, what is God to you? That's right. And then you begin to drill into that and they might get, you know, well, you know, the God that created everything. Okay, well, well, what about Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? And then you begin to drill into that. Okay, well, Jesus was uh, was just a man that God sent to tell us how to be, live better lives, you know, or, you yeah. know, whatever they, I've heard yeah, a lot I'm, of different yeah. explanations. A moral being. Yeah, yeah. And I had a, I had a, I did have a lady say that I had gotten the point on Islam incorrect with regards to how they view Jesus. And I'm like, well, I had a, a Muslim guy explain it to me. I, we sat at a table together in Saudi Arabia. He was a Bangladeshi guy. He's Muslim. Yeah. And I said, well, who is Jesus to you? Oh, we know who Isa is. And blah, blah, blah. he was telling me he was a prophet and, you know, prophet. Yep. <laughs> he was a man. And so I was like, okay, well, I said, well, Jesus says that he is God in the flesh in the Bible. So how, how do you understand that? And he's like, well, um, no, he, he's just a man. God, God can't be a man. And I, so we go into this whole long thing. And I just said, well, Christianity came before Islam by like 600 years. Yep. So we both agreed on that point. And I said, you guys understand that Jesus was just a man, but you only know who Jesus is from Christianity. And in Christianity, Jesus is God. That's so either right. he's either he's lying <laughs> and therefore Islam is worshiping, you know, or, or you know, putting on a pedestal, a guy that's lying, a false prophet. Or I said he is really who he says he is. And if that's true, then Islam is wrong. That's said, right. It can't, it can't be both ways. It's one or the other. Yeah. And he seemed very perplexed at this idea and he began to think about this. So, um, you know, it's it, it's. Um, same thing within you can talk to Mormons about, you know, the deity of Christ. I mean, you start drilling down into these things and you get past just the common language that we have. 
or the common vernacular that we use, and you start asking them, what do you mean by this? Then things begin, their color, their true colors begin to show, <laughs> you know, like yep. you begin to yeah. see, okay, well, they don't mean the same thing that I mean when I talk about um, uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and what that means to the believer. Um, for the Mormons, you know, the real, the real critical point wasn't on the cross itself. It was in the garden when, he, when Jesus was sweating blood. Um, that's that's the moment there where um, the the turning point, so to speak, was in terms of redemption, man's redemption, or something to that. For effect. Mormonism, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's you know I, I have to say, and I know this is a pretty pathetic illustration, but I'm going to do it anyways. As you're talking, right, all of these different religions, even cults. Um, have a different view on on um that was no i'm not talking to you crazy siri <laughs> you know these things aren't that intelligent but um as as i'm thinking about this they all have their different version of who christ was right it's christology their study of their version of christ and uh so yes uh, sunday was father's day we were at a meet it went friday saturday sunday monday they got these shirts, T-shirts made up for the dads. And the T-shirt said, best swim dad ever. And the dads were, they were all given one, wear it on Sunday because we're going to take a picture of all the dads. And it's funny because I thought, I went up to one dad and I'm all, listen, man, uh, they're lying because your shirt says best swim dad ever and my shirt says best swim dad ever. I said, we can't both be the best swim dads ever. I said, so one of our shirts is lying, man. They're lying to us, right? But I kind of thought about the same thing. You have all of these different cults and religions, and they're all wearing these T-shirts that say, I know Jesus Christ. I know who Jesus is. You know, And it's like, wait, one of these is the real deal, and the rest of them, they're all fakes. Yeah. But they yeah. all claim to know Jesus as the correct, quote-unquote, version of, of who Jesus really is. And like you said, that's where things get really dicey when you don't know who Jesus is through the Word of God because we're told here who Jesus is, right? He reveals himself through Scripture to us. Man, you are fair game to everything else. You put a great list here when yeah. it comes to the study of salvation, soteriology, which is, I like the order you put this in. You go Christ, Holy Spirit, right? Mm. And then the study of salvation. And it could get really ugly really, really quick. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, ultimately, I think that is where the biggest division came in when I was just going through the list. It wasn't the first three. It was, it was, it was salvation. How, how, do you, how do you define redemption? Or how does your organization define redemption? You just well, opened up a big can of worms. You know that, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're Roman Catholic, and I had a very, you know, I, I still have a, a good friend who's Roman Catholic. Yep. And I, we were talking to him, and he knows I'm, you know, talk about this stuff all the time. So we're in his office one time, and and I we're talking about dying or something. I said, man, I am not scared to die. If I have to die, you know, I know where I'm going, blah, blah, blah. And I just saw this look on his face. He was like perplexed and i said why do you you're are you you're a christian you say you're a christian you know you know where you're going when you die he's like well i don't know man i think 
I'm hoping my my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. And, I, and he was yeah. just dead serious. And I was like, I said, what? I said, dude, your works have nothing to do with your salvation. And then we get into this whole conversation about that you can't work your way to heaven. You can't earn your salvation. And and he's still thinking he's got to go to purgatory. Yeah. He's got to go this, this, and he's going to have people pray for him and, you know, all this other stuff. And I'm like, dude, that is, that is such a terrible state of, um, a terrible state of mind to put your, your, um, congregants in by keeping them in limbo, spiritual limbo, where they have no idea where they're going to go, um, after they die whether they're going to go to heaven or they're going to go to hell because they don't know if their good deeds are, are going to outweigh their bad deeds. Yeah. And then, then if you even, you know, even in almost a similar scenario, if you get like a, a Mormon who in the book of uh, Mormon in the, their book of Nephi, I forget the exact passage, but it's basically plagiarizing uh, Ephesians two, eight and nine, but it, it adds to it, right? It says for by grace, you have been saved through faith after all you can do. Yeah, it's and, works. And, and and so the question is, what is all you can do? So if you get up in the morning and you pray for five hours and then later in the day, you know, you have a heart attack, you're laying in bed, you're thinking, well, I should have prayed for six hours or yeah. I should have prayed for eight hours. Yeah. And then you put this the onus back on you to uh, determine your own level of righteousness. And again, you're in that kind of limbo where you don't know if that's all you could do. Yep. And again, I, you know, workspace salvation is, and I can't remember who said it. It was, um, oh, I think it was um, like Leonard Ravenhill or, or somebody like that. But basically that, that, that Satan has his own gospel as well. And his gospel is, is absolutely a workspace gospel yeah. that you know, it is all about you having to do something. And that's where you see within all the religions in the world, I don't care what they are or even non-religion religions like atheism and humanism and those things, those are all works-based belief systems. They're yeah. all works-based. And the only, the only <laughs> belief system in the entire world that says you can't do anything to earn this is true biblical Christianity. And that's what ultimately sets us apart from everything else. Yeah. And um, I think, I think between Jesus, the, the, the uniqueness of who Jesus was, that he is the only person in the entire universe who was both fully God and fully man, who came as our kinsman redeemer, willingly laid his life down in perfect obedience to the father. Um, and because he was fully God and fully man, he was the only person capable of bridging that gap between this un, the, this unfathomable gap between God's perfect holiness and man's fallen wretchedness, he yep. was the only one that could do it. And he that's why in Revelation five, he's the only one found worthy to take the Open scroll the out of the right hand of the Father. And so when and just to rabbit trail a little bit on this point, go for it, go for it. When people tell me that the first half of the tribulation is not God's wrath, that really that really just it irks me like to, to the nth degree because I'm like, well, who opens the seal? Who is the only one in all of the universe that is found worthy to take the seals, open them, and then begin all these judgments that begin pouring out upon the earth? Yep. If you're saying that 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 this is that the seal judgments are Satan's wrath, then you diminish what Christ was able to do and his rightful authority to take the scroll from the right hand of the Father 
Yep. And even John, you know, John, when he's there, he's, you know, weeping because he doesn't understand like why there's nobody that's worthy until Christ is there and appears and he's the one that is able to do it. So I don't know that that's and that's again, I kind of tie this back into this point that when you have sound theology, sound theology has to culminate in sound eschatology yep. and vice versa. If you have sound eschatology, it has to dovetail back into sound theology. These things are all interconnected. You can't be really wonky on the study of the Holy Spirit and then, you know, expect to be really sound in ecclesiology, the study of the church or the study of salvation or the study of these other things. So yeah, when you're off on one point, you're off, you're usually off on many different points. Yeah. And you know what? I have to say that it all pivots off of hermeneutics mm-hmm. because where we get in trouble is especially when it comes to um, eschatology or when it comes to interpretation of the Bible is, again, exactly that, is when we try to interpret the Bible instead of letting the Bible interpret itself. And you have messed up hermeneutics, and that goes way back. We're not going to get into that now, but everybody seems to have their own version of how to properly study the Bible and break it down and what their version and what their interpretation is. And that's where you just get all these different weird ideas because we're not allowing Scripture to interpret Scripture. We're not allowing the Lord to be the one to tell us, hey, it's not... And the Bible says that, you know, the Word of God isn't open to man's interpretation. We don't get to read into it. Right. I mean, I've recommended the book, uh, The Treasury of Scripture Knowledge, many, many times. And all that is, is literally it's a cross reference book of the Bible interpreting the Bible, period, not open to man's interpretation. And we've gotten so far away from so many things, even within Christianity. And we can see what the culmination is nowadays, right? We got, again, I just showed you this, and this is something that I barely just came across, this issue of IBLP, this Bill Gothard guy. And when you look at this organization, I mean, this dude uh, would teach on marriage. I mean, the, he had a curriculum here. Let me go back over here. He had a curriculum that um, focused heavily on the roles and responsibilities of men and women. Of course, let me say this, it was a perversion of the Word of God. It was not proper hermeneutics. It was not proper interpretation of the roles of the man, the husband, and the wife within the institution of marriage. And so when you put your own interpretation in there, what do you come up with? You come up with this kind of nonsense, and it is a perversion of the Word of God. Now, funny thing is... This guy was never married, but people <laughs> followed him to the T, never had any kids. And here he is telling people to make sure that they remain pure, which again, these are good principles. But when you take these principles that are found in the Word of God and you spin them through man's lens, you get a perverted version of the Word of God. And so you look at stuff like this, and it is messed up. It is messed up to the core. And you've got people coming out of here hating God. They hate Jesus. They hate God. Why? Because the Jesus that they were exposed to, the God that they were exposed to, was this authoritarian, legalistic God that didn't show love whatsoever. And it's we see that everywhere. We see that everywhere. And that's the exclusivity 
of Christianity, true, pure Christianity, which is Jesus Christ came, he lived among us as men, right? And uh, all man, all God died for us, suffered for us, got hung on that cross, rose from the dead, and there's nothing that any of us could do to earn salvation, period, nothing at all. But yeah. yet we're all mixed up, dude. We're still mixed up. And, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm probably going to step on a whole bunch of toes here, but I am, I'm almost, I'm opposed to a couple of different things um, that I've just witnessed over the course of my life as always not turning out as they, they sound good in theory and they end up not working out very well. Um, churches that practice, um, uh, what is it called? Like accountability, where you're you're constantly confessing your sins to one another. Yeah, I know that is a biblical principle, and I've seen guys get up on stage and um, you know talk about their pornography addiction, or they get up sure. on stage and talk about really deeply personal things, and they end up leaving, and they leave, and they never come back, and they don't want anybody to see you. You're 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 laying yourself bare to uh, strangers and now i agree that that people that christians should have brothers or you know if you're a woman sisters in christ who you can confide in and you can um you know go to that's not what i'm talking about i'm talking about these big public standings where you get up confessions church confessions and things like that because they they almost never um turn out well for the person doing the confessing yeah. because um, people are people and people end up becoming petty and mean and, and it, it just gets used against you. Yep. And so I, um, another thing that I, that I am really cautious with is that ministries that are almost exclusively focused on discipleship. Now there's nothing wrong with discipleship, yeah, but we the need churches, that. the churches that I've found that, that, that's like their entire ministry. They don't focus on anything else. They don't, they don't, they aren't interested in, in deepening necessarily the believers understanding and growing them as, as Christians in the, in the word, it becomes more of a surface level. Are you, do you, do you act like a Christian? Are you, and I don't, I don't know how to say this without it sounding but there was a ministry that I was familiar with back in El Paso years and years ago um, and his whole ministry. And they were a big group. Um, I can't remember for the life of me what the name is, but they're across the United States. Um, uh, they, they do a lot with um, near military installations, but they also work in schools and other things. But, uh, inter, you know, across the U.S., they're, they're all yeah. over the place. And uh, we were talking one day and he was trying to get me involved in this. And I said, well, I said, well, you know, I, I like to study prophecy. Is there if there is there a way to incorporate that into this to the program that you guys have? And he said, well, we don't study prophecy. That's that's a distraction. We just focus on Jesus. And I said, mm-hmm. I said, what do you think prophecy is about? <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah. have you not read Revelation 1910? Like it is that is it, it all points to Jesus. I said, that's you can't, right learn and know Jesus without studying prophecy. So I think my, my point is, is that any ministry that becomes super hyper-focused on one particular thing at the exclusion of everything else is going to 
fall into error. And that would include prophecy, right? I agree. I'm glad you, you said that. You can't brought, just yeah. You can't just study prophecy and expect to grow as a believer um, in 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 all things in Christ, as it talks yep. about in Ephesians four, eleven through sixteen. Um, so as as fascinating as prophecy is, there. I mean, dude, I I tell you who leads some fantastic Bible studies and his deep dives are incredible. And I'm not even talking, not even his prophecy stuff is um, Gary Stearman from Prophecy mm -hmm. Watchers. When he does his, you can find his Bible studies online and it's just him talking through and he may talk about, I don't know, Colossians or other, you know, just different, different books in the Bible and just, just incredible. And I just walk away supercharged. Um, Ken Ortiz, like we both know oh, Ken, yeah, he does Ken. amazing Bible studies yep. um, on um, encouragement and all sorts of things. So I, 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 for me personally, I know I'm passionate about prophecy because it's so lacking in so many churches, Sure, but I can't just study prophecy. I have to study everything else in conjunction with that or else I become very lopsided in my understanding yep. of everything. Yep. So. Yep. No, I agree. And and you know what? I'm glad you brought it full circle. Cause this is really where we started in our in our, you know, conversation where we were just off the cuff, off the record. And we got into this discussion, and that's really what brought us here. I read your article, which I thought was fabulous. And yeah, it's lopsided. I remember I used to work out a lot. I know now it doesn't look like it, but I, I seriously I used to work out a lot. I used to hit the weights all the time. And if there was one thing that I just found hilarious was guys that were I I'd call top heavy. They were big on top and they'd have chicken legs on the bottom. They right? skip leg days every day. <laughs> they skip leg day all the time. And you'd have these dudes that were just yoked up on the top, like no neck. And then you look down and they have these little pencil legs. They were so twiggy and it just looked horrible. And that's the same picture that just came to my mind that as believers in <laughs> Jesus Christ, we don't want to skip leg day every day you know what i'm saying or vice versa you don't want to have these massive quads and big old calves and then you're all skinny on top you know what i mean I, okay you could crush a pepsi can really good but big deal and that's exactly i believe where we're at and so i love bible you know i love bible prophecy like you do we've talked about it a whole lot our last video was one second after the rapture yeah you know what that was going to look like but at the end of the day there's so much in those other two thirds of scripture that we need, it's imperative that we study the word of God, because if we don't, mm -hmm. we can get just so, you know, uh, what are those things? We put these blinders, blinders. on, almost like, yeah, eschatological blinders on, dude. And all we focus on is the rapture of the church, the rapture of the church, the antichrist, you know, the, the seven year tribulation, everything is that. And, and listen, I have to say this. I know I'm probably stepping on toes and I'll probably get hate mail, but you know what? I'll I'll delete it. But listen to what I'm saying. I want the Lord to return just like any other person wants the Lord the Lord to return, just like Pete does. I said that this off the record with you, dude. Mm -hmm. I want the Lord to come back. Do I believe he's coming back any moment? You bet I do. You bet I do. Is it important that we're looking at the season and the signs? Yes, it's imperative that we do. But we've become so, I think, within the prophecy circle and in the church, we've become so hyper-focused on that one thing 
that oftentimes we become, the church can become, and I hate using this term, but paralyzed in the sense that I'm going to sit here, I'm going to wait, I'm not going to do anything, I just want to take this in. And we forget what the Lord told us to do is go and make disciples. Go ye therefore. So take this information, take what you know you learn in your daily Bible studies and your devotionals when you listen or read something Pete puts out or so many other guys like Ken Ortiz or Gary Stearman. You take that, you absorb it, and what do you do with it? Get out. Because prophecy, and I want you to just talk about this, and then we'll, we'll, we'll end on this note. Prophecy should spur us on to go out and share the gospel of Jesus Christ, don't you think? Yeah, that reminds me of that passage in, uh, well, give me a second, 1 Peter. Sure. Let's go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. Well, I can't play the real thing. First Peter chapter what? Maybe it's Second Peter. I'm in Second Peter. Are you? Second Peter what? So I'm waiting here for Pete to talk about Second And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but by the holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Where is that? For uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19 through 21. There we go. 19 through 21. First Peter, second Peter 1, 19 through 21. Prophecy, you know, so I'll, I'll just be real, 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 real right now. Real, real, raw. Go for real, it. Real, real. Um, you know, growing up in church where I, I can't remember if prophecy was ever taught there. I don't remember it being taught there, but... Um, when you just learn the same sermons, the same stories over and over and over, it gets very dry. You know, it gets yeah. very dry and old and stale. Yep. yep. When you put in there the prophetic correlation to why something happened or, or why something will happen, and you begin to tie the Bible together from all the different places that it was always intended to be. So like if you're reading Matthew, you know, every Christmas we read Matthew 2, yep. the wise men show up and present the gifts. Well, well, why did the wise men show up? How did they know? Oh, yeah. well, let's go back to Daniel chapter 2. And here's some backstory for that. And then, oh, by the way, you could go to Numbers 24. That's how they knew that they're, what to look for because Daniel That's taught right. that, that a star would rise. And then, oh, by the way, they would have known uh, roughly about when the time Christ would have come, you know, plus or minus 30 years there roughly, not only from Daniel's 70th week, but the fact that that in order to serve in the, the temple, you had to be 30 years of age. So they would have taken them to that. So when you go into that level and you bring that to Matthew chapter 2, that makes it so much more fascinating and alive than simply rehashing the same uh, verses over in, in some kind of lifeless manner over and over just because it's that time of year. Yep. And, it's, and it's that deep dives into not just prophecy but everything all all when you read the book of ruth and you know chuck missler brought this out in a very beautiful way and you see how ruth connects to revelation chapter five and then back into leviticus 
talking about the kinsman redeemer, man, it just it takes the Bible to another level. And yeah. when you get that level, and I think that's why I, um, the that book, Learn the Bible in 24 Hours, was so critical for me at that time because the Bible was a a a dry, boring book that I didn't understand. And when I read through Chuck's, um, he you know, it's basically like cliff notes on like how this book connects to this book and when this book was written and who wrote it and what was the conditions yeah. around that and and then it goes into the correlations between this this book and this book, and then these things are tied in other places. It just made the Bible come alive to me. So when I read through the Bible, it just man, it everything popped out, and I was like, wow, why didn't I ever see this before? Why didn't I understand this before? Yeah. And everybody that I've ever given that book to, which has been quite a few people, it's done the same thing for them. The Bible comes to life, and that is the beauty, and why I'm so passionate about how how um, not just um, reading scripture, but how awesome it is. There's no other book like it yep. on the planet. And yeah. so again, you know, just to kind of piggy, to go back to where we were before, um, you know, I can't, I can't just study prophecy at the exclusion of everything else. Yeah. Prophecy, the study of uh, Bible prophecy, the study of last things, eschatology, is tied in with soteriology, the study of salvation, which is tied in That's with right. pneumatology. It's tied in with the ecclesiology, the study of the church. It's studying, it's it's connected with Christology. I mean, they're all connected together. And when you when you connect these things all together, and they're in perfect symbiotic uh, relationship, flowing intent as God intended, that's where things come alive, and that's where things begin to click for you. And and it's just it's a beautiful thing. And that's you feel like you you have a deeper understanding of not just why you're here on the earth, um, but you get a deeper understanding of, of the kind of the overall picture of where God is taking everything and, and, and a, little, a little bit of the nature of God himself, a better understanding of the nature of God rather than just saying, um, you know, the Old Testament God is mean and the New Testament God is good and God is yeah. merciful. <laughs> you know, it, it goes way beyond that. And so when you get that level of understanding of God, because you have a very uh, deeper understanding of God's word, then you don't run into, you don't embrace errors like modalism. You don't embrace errors like Arianism. You don't embrace errors of, you know, works-based salvation or that replacement theology or these other things. And yeah. so God <laughs> intended this book to, it's a supernatural book. There's no yep. other book like it. And the way that you properly read it and understand it, it comes to life in a way that um, no other book could. And and yeah. so just the last example of this, and then I'll then I'll quit. No, yapping. no, no. Go ahead, dude. When you read John, for instance, when you read John, uh, I keep putting my glasses on my hat, and then I forget that I take them off. When you read John <laughs> chapter three, um, I think it's John three. No, maybe it's John one. John chapter one. In the and, beginning. Uh, right where uh, John the Baptist is. Um, let me see. Here it is. John chapter 1, beginning in verse, uh, beginning in verse 29, he says, and John was out there baptizing, John the Baptist, and he said, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then you go down a few verses, 
uh, in verse 36, in, or a certain verse 35, and it says, Again, the next day John stood with two of his disciples, and looking at, Je looking at Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. Did you catch yep. it? Yep. yep. He only says, takes away the sins of the world once. He doesn't say yep. it twice, right? Yep. Because Christ only came once. Same That's thing right. when you go back to the rock, when when Moses was only supposed to strike the yep. rock once, one That's time. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's it's little things like this that I get super geeked out about, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, no, totally. Then this is how, you know, this book is supernatural and how there's no other there's no other book in the world like it. And yep. this is this is why I, I get so nerdy when it comes to Bible stuff, because it's just it's so amazing. You know, it is yeah. so it's 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 unlike anything else. And I I, I, I love it, dude. I, I'm. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because you share my enthusiasm for the Word of God as well. You know, you just mentioned uh, Moses, and in the beginning it was told to smite the rock. The second time he was told to speak to the rock, and you could mm -hmm. see Jesus in that, right? Where Jesus was smitten for our sins. He was bruised for our iniquities. Um, he was, you know, he was crucified on that cross, and then... That's the first time he came. The second time he came, he comes is not going to be like that. He's not going to come as the suffering Messiah. He's going to come as a conquering Messiah, right? That's and right. out of his mouth comes a two-edged sword. So I love it too, man. I think there's so much in Scripture. And, you know, I've said this a million times before. You and I and everybody else, we could spend lifetimes studying the Word of God. And every lifetime we would spend, it would be something new that we would learn, something new that we would learn. And that's the beauty of the Word of God. It never gets old unless we allow it to get old, right? Yeah. Unless we read, okay, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? It could get old. It really can become that. And look, I've, I've gone to churches where it's stale, where it's totally stale. And that's not the way that the Word of God is intended to be read. It's so rich. It's so full. And instead of it sitting on a lot of shelves and collecting dust to actually get that down the word of life. You know, um, I've heard that Christianese acronym, basic instructions before leaving earth. It's so mm -hmm. much more than that, dude. That's why I can't stand <laughs> these, these Christianese sayings. I'm like, dude, that is so that, that is what, not what even would Jesus do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, frog. I don't know what that one was, but we come up with these just really ridiculous acronyms. And I'm like, trust me, you're not coming anywhere near that. Not at all. And look, dude, we didn't even cover, we didn't get a chance to cover everything here, but because I wanted to get into also the, the difference, how, not the difference, but how grace and mercy go hand in hand. But the majority of the time, all we hear about is grace, grace, grace. But mercy has such a big role to play in it as well. And maybe next time we get together and we sit down, we could talk about that because you know, to me, that's that's huge. The fact that God extends mercy to us. You know, it reminds me again, here we go. We read about mercy in the New Testament, right, where the Lord had mercy on us. And it makes me think about the Old Testament in, um, you know, the Persian culture, the king. You were not allowed to approach the throne of the king unless you were, like in the book of Esther, unless you were summoned to the court of the king. And it was up to the king if he wanted to extend mercy and put that scepter forth, which he did, I think it was King Xerxes, right, that extended mercy towards Esther. And I love that, man. I just There's just so much 
It's just the Word of God is so rich in so many different ways. But for us to just park ourselves in one area of Scripture and leave everything else out, I, you know, we're doing, we're doing ourselves a disfavor, and we're doing those that aren't saved a, dis, a disfavor because we're not going out there and sharing the Word of God because time is short. Wouldn't you say, why don't you close us out, dude? Tell us, tell people about Jesus Christ, who he is, what he did in your life, how they could come to know Jesus Christ, dude, and, and the importance of the fact that we're living on borrowed time. Yeah, well, I, you know, like I said earlier, I grew up in the church. I grew up, you know, with this very two-dimensional understanding of God and salvation and, and Jesus and all that. It was just something that I did on Sundays. And and I, and I got saved at a young age. I think there was something in me that um, that the Holy Spirit was drawing me at, at a young age. And I was, we were visiting a different church at the time. And, but then, you know, we moved and we, we, we got into what I would consider my home church and, you know, things went in, uh, became kind of a routine, you know, going to church became routine praying became a routine. It was always, you know, don't drink, uh, dance or chew or go with girls who do kind of thing. You know, it was always about <laughs> being morally, you know, on the externally, um, moral, you know, it was really yep. about morality of do, do's and don'ts and all this. And, and that's really how I came to understand Christianity. And I struggled with that for years, all through my high school years. It was always, um, you know, I thought salvation was based off of um, things I did or things I didn't do. And that ultimately led me to leave the church and basically just become a prodigal son for the next 15 years. And I was just living in the world and just not really thinking about God, not thinking about anything pertaining to the things of God. And, you know, I was miserable. I was I was in the world, living in the world, but I could not be fully happy in the world because I knew something was missing. Something was lacking. Yeah. I began looking at other belief systems. I began looking at different things. I even looked at like Gnosticism <laughs> of all things. Um, and it wasn't until my come to Jesus moment in 2007 where God got a hold of me and began to work very radically in my life. But it, the most radical thing I think that, that I came to understand um, was that my salvation is not predicated on my behavior. And that's not, Amen. that's not saying that's a license to do whatever I want. Yeah. I'm still beholden. Um, because I'm, I'm my life, my, my eternity was paid for with a price and it was paid for with the blood of Christ. And so I came to realize that my salvation is about my relationship with my creator. And it's not about, um, my works. And Amen. that Christ paid for all of my sins in the past. He paid for all the sins that I'm committing and he paid for all the sins that I will commit. And when I came to really understand that, it was very, it was liberating. And that's the, the yoke that when Jesus says, you know, take my yoke for its light. That's when I really, that passage came to life for me because I understood that in my own strength, I can't do anything of my, in and of myself that Christ did everything. I have to really lean on him and trust him. And, and that is for me, that moment where I was liberated to, to serve God in the manner that he he's called me to serve. 
And so I understand that I will sin and that I will make mistakes in the future. And where in the past I would have uh, laid down in the fetal position, you know, sucking my thumb because I thought, well, I'm so terrible. I can't serve you anymore. And I would spend weeks and weeks and weeks just being useless to God. I realized that Christ has already paid for my sins. I need to get up, put my big boy pants on, ask for forgiveness, <laughs> and keep marching on and keep doing what he's asked me to do and not yeah. quit and not stop running the race. And so for anybody out there listening who doesn't, if you don't know Jesus Christ, it it is not a religion. It yeah. is not a denomination. It is not uh, a list of do's and don'ts. Jesus Christ is the living God. He's the, the one who spoke the universe into existence. He is the uh, most powerful, most uh, amazing, loving uh, person that could ever exist in, in the plethora of realities that, that exist. And he wants to know each and every one of you personally, and he cares about you more than, than anybody's ever cared for you. And he loves you infinitely more than, than you deserve. And he loves you despite everything that you are and that you've done. He loves me despite everything that I am and that I've done. He knows the worst thing about me, and he still loves me enough to, to have come and die on the cross for me Amen. to lay his own life down so that I could have eternal life with him. And so salvation is placing your faith not on your own ability to save yourself, not on your your good works, not on how many times you've gone to church or what denomination your parents belong to or what country you grew up in or what political party you are. Salvation comes from placing your faith on the finished work of Christ's work on the cross. When he willingly laid down his life of his own accord, he could have called legions of angels down to rescue him at the last second. He didn't do any of that. He willingly went to the cross as uh, he says in Hebrews, that the, the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, right? And when we think of the cross, we realize what a painful, grueling, uh, arduous and torturous experience that was for him. He considered that joy to be able to bring salvation to us. And he endured that, the only innocent man that's ever lived. And, and because he was completely innocent, death couldn't hold him. So on the third day, he rose from the dead, and now he um, is basically waiting for the Father to give him the, the thumbs up to come and bring us back to where he is, and that is the rapture of the church. You don't have to understand the rapture or even believe the rapture to be saved. What you have to believe in is what Christ did for you on the cross and that he paid for your salvation. So all you have to do is ask for that with a sincere, sincere heart and and sincere belief that he can save you. And as it says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that anybody who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, not might be saved, not um, someday be saved, but you shall be saved if you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you mind leading us in a word of prayer, brother? No, let's do it. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the time together with Pablo and I, um, both before we went live and uh, after um, the opportunity to discuss uh, so many things, Lord, that you have in Scripture for us that, that, that no other book, no other subject, no other topic in the world, every, you know, everything pales in comparison to what you've given us. 
And if we had a thousand lifetimes, we still wouldn't be able to fully comprehend how amazing your word is. We thank you for the word that you've given us. It's perfect. It's inerrant. It is, um, it is everything we need, Lord, to, to not only to live, but to thrive and to, to do your will and to do the things you've called us to do. Um, because you've seen the end from the beginning, you know, how this works out and you've placed each of us here in this particular time and place to do specific things for you and for the cause of the kingdom, Lord. We just thank you for uh, the fellowship that we have. We thank you for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who who meet regularly, who come together to share, to encourage, to pray for, and to lift each other up, Lord. We just pray that this community would continue to grow, that you would continue to, to provide that growth, and then help us to be the people you've called us to be, Lord. We just thank you for your son, uh, Jesus, for his uh, willing sacrifice on the cross. We thank you for eternal life. We thank you for all the things that you give us um, that we don't deserve. And we just ask all these things in the name of your son. Amen. Amen. Dude, that was great, man. That was great. Don't go away because I'm going to get your shorty's answer. But... um, Listen, man, I thought that was good, dude. I appreciate that. It's been way too long. Way too long. Yeah. We got to get back on the calendar, and uh, we'll do that on the flip side of this. Folks, ladies, gentlemen, family, flight crew, et al., all the above, I hope you guys were blessed. I know I was. I love this. When we get into the Word of God, we dig deep. And uh, this was good. I hope you guys were blessed, encouraged, challenged. Get into the Word of God. Um, if you can get your hands on that book, uh, learn the Bible in 24 hours, uh, I'm going to get it. I didn't know about it, uh, but I actually have it over here. I'm going to pick it up because anytime I could you know, study the Word of God more in depth and get more out of it, I'm, I'm game for that. So hope you guys are blessed. Remember, keep looking up because, yes, we are living on borrowed time. The Lord is coming back any moment. So get out and share Jesus Christ with as many people as you possibly, possibly can. So, Brother Pete, man, till the next time, love you, dude. This was great. Yes, love you too.